We've been uh, in Ephesians just for a couple weeks, so we're picking back up here in Ephesians chapter 2, at the the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 10. So if you would, please flip to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And let me read this for us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to a group of churches in Ephesus and in the surrounding areas. And uh, this book has a very uh, positive uh, tone to it. There are some other books where Paul is really calling out people for sin that has crept in or calling them to beware of false teachers and whatnot. But in, in this book, as we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, it's, it's pretty stinking encouraging. You know, it, 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 the chapter begins by, by saying how blessed we've been in the heavenly places, uh, that we've been called according to his purpose, and he's lavished on us all of these different things, and he's given us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, um, glorious inheritance. You know, it, it's just a very good thing. And as we enter chapter 2, Paul is making a little bit of a transition here by saying all of these great things have, have happened to you as a result of God's mighty plan. We saw how God's uh, mystery, as it's referred to in chapter 1, and it will, will be referred to throughout the course of this book, is that God is bringing Jews and Gentiles and even uh, he's even redeeming all of creation. Right? That, that is the mystery. That is the mighty plan that God has set before the foundation of the earth, it says in chapter 1, and that he has even in the ages to come. And that God's mighty plan is to redeem mankind, and that you, believer, are unimaginably blessed as a result of this mighty plan. But it's all for God's glory. That's, that's the theme of this whole book. So as we enter into chapter 2... We have a backtracking here of the way they once were. So he's, he's, he's shedding all these great things, but in chapter 2 he's saying, let's put the brakes on a second and emphasize the way you once were. Chapter 2, verse 1, let's look at this again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in, once, in, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is another term for Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So these first three verses here are saying, hey, we all once were here. So he's not laying condemnation out on, look how bad you were and I wasn't. He's saying there's a connection here. But there's also a tone of intentional disobedience and wrath throughout these three verses. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once in which you once walked. Notice in verse 2 it says following the course of this world. You know, I think I can speak for myself and I think probably for a lot of you, we all have different stories if you've come to Christ. We all have different stories of of how you came to know Christ and what your life was uh, before conversion, you know, how, however you were living. And I think a lot of times as believers, we read things that say you were once dead in your trespasses and sins following the course of this world. Okay, I get that. To me, my default when I read following the course of this world is something like the guys at work curse and I try not to. You know what I mean? Following the course of this world is my motivation for righteousness is different than somebody else's. That the course of this world is uh, simply different than me as a believer. So they live how they believe because they're not converted, and I, believe, and I live how I believe. The verbiage is here, here is much more powerful than that. It says, following the course of this world, comma, following the prince of the power of the air saying that following the course of this world is following Satan. One commentator calls this um, a satanic order, that the course of this world is a a satanic order. Now, when we think of a satanic order, order, we probably think of some movie where everyone's in a circle, right? Candles, masks that are creepy and like, you know, let's change the channel. Um, But if you think about how the course of this world is not righteousness, God, nor his word to us, doesn't give us categories of this is righteousness and this is okayness. This is, you know, you shouldn't be doing those things, but it's not really bad. And then this is the satanic order, you know? It either has the pursuit of Jesus Christ or the pursuit of the world or the prince of the power of the air. So you were once dead. You were at one time dead in your sins, in your trespasses, in which you were following the satanic order of this world. Because you didn't have Christ. You didn't have, you didn't have a, a new life in you. You had dead in you. And so you were doing what the dead do. And that's pursuing things that lead to death. In which, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, the satanic order, which is the same thing as following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now still at work in people who don't believe. It seems in 2013 way too judgmental. You know what I mean? To, to, to say to your, about your, I mean, you wouldn't say this to your neighbors, <laughs> but to view them as you're following the satanic order. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> I have an SUV, you know? Like, I mean, I'm pretty normal here. Um, but if you're not following Christ, then there's wrath that is being delayed, but will be poured out on that person. And that's something very serious. It's not only something very serious in us, for us to view the urgency of the gospel in people that we are living around, but also Paul is drawing this 
to the front of the Ephesians' mind to say, you were once there. We can't forget that. We need to be crystal clear about our past. We can't just live in the here and now in the sense of, look at all these great things that I have now in the gospel, which we need to be there too, but it has to be built on the fact that we once were this way. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, currently, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Meaning the things that we did and the ways that we lived, we not only physically did them, but we wanted to. Not only did we physically do them, but we wanted to. We did it as fully embracing, knowing that this was not an issue of just doing things that they ought not do, but wanting to and being okay with it. And they were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Um, John 3.36 says that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Once again, whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes, all right, it's interesting that it says whoever believes in the Son has life, but whoever does not obey the Son Therefore, living lives of disobedience in their trespasses and their sins. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life and continue to be dead. But, rather, the wrath of God remains. So it's not like they suddenly get the wrath. It will continue to stay on them. And they were by nature children of wrath. This text is, is split up into three different sections. And... This first section, one through three, is the way you once were. So this is what you were, Paul is saying. Let's be, let's be crystal clear. Let's not, let's not be arrogant here. Let's not say we were anything other than this. But this is where we came from. And then the good news is reintroduced in verse four. But, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So there's a shift. You once were this way, but now... You have been given something because of the mercy and the love of God. It says that he is rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. Even when we were still dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. And that we have been saved by grace. Which is the theme of these ten verses. Mercy is withholding due punishment, all right? So the difference between mercy and grace is that God has shown us mercy, meaning that we were once living this way and we deserve the wrath. It says they were children of wrath, which means you, you deserve it. But by his mercy, withholding due judgment, and because he has greatly loved you, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he has saved us by grace, which is defined as unmerited favor, unmerited 
merited favor. Whenever I think of the definition of grace, I was never a Boy Scout, but you got the merit badges, right? So you do something and you and you merit the badge. You know, you you how many? We're anybody here Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? All right, I'm right, right? That's how you did it, all right? <laughs> um, and it's nothing that we did, nothing that we. Uh, God didn't look down on us and say he's, he's generally more good than this person so therefore I will ordain this person to be saved that he saved us he, he, he had mercy on us and he loved us and he saved us by grace unmerited favor even when we were dead in our, our trespasses he did three things he made us alive verse 5 together with Christ bringing new life to us by grace you have been saved verse 6 he raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he not only took us from death to life, but he raised us up, meaning what will happen in the future, because we're, at this point everybody's still physically alive, but we'll, you will be raised into heaven. But not only will you go to heaven like angels are in heaven, but you will be seated with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, which is a, a place of privilege. And we saw this in chapter 1, that it isn't one of those things where he just simply takes away sin. It isn't one of those things where he simply gives us eternal life. But he gives us an inheritance, that we become sons and daughters of God. There is great value in what God is doing for us here. He's not just saying, hey, I'm going to keep you out of hell. But I'm, not, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to raise you up. And I'm going to seat you at the right hand of God with Jesus Christ. So this, is, this answers the question, um, uh, this is the way we once were, this is what God has done for us, and then I think we, what we need to uh, ask next is simply the question, why? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why? Why has he given us mercy and shown us love? Given us love, shown us mercy. Why has he saved us by grace? So that he could show us grace. So that in the coming ages, he might show the thing that we can't describe, because it's describing it as immeasurable. So that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But that's not the only reason. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Show us grace and so that we can do good works. That we once were this way, but because God has done something completely and totally, not by anything that we have done, I mean, it seems like he's overemphasizing this. Let's look back again at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Unmerited favor. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. Verse 8. For by grace, again... For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
Nothing that you've done. It is the gift of God, not the reward of God. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that nobody can boast, so that nobody can take credit for it. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we once were this way, we've been saved by grace, so that God can show us grace and we can do good works. I want, to, I want us to look at the word uh, workmanship here in verse 10. It says, for we are God's workmanship, because he's the one that's done it all. It's overemphasizing the fact that God has done it all. So therefore, we become his workmanship. I had a guy uh, from the church build a shelf in my house. And he's a great craftsman. He just, it's excellent. It was way, it was way better than I, than I was even expecting it to be. Um, and he came over, and he took all the measurements. We wanted this in a certain place. And he built this thing. And I'm just thinking, this is, this is awesome. And this, this shelf is his workmanship. He built it all. I didn't swing a hammer once. I didn't take a measurement. I didn't cut a piece of wood. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't drill a hole. It is wholly, completely his work that has been accomplished through his workmanship. Verse 9. It is not a result of works, meaning your works. It is not your works. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's not our works, but we come God's workmanship so that we can do good works or God's works. Good works here or God's works, or obedience, that he created us to not only show us his grace, but so that we would do good works. If you've, if you've grown up in church, or maybe if you didn't, maybe you've heard the question, why does God not just fire us straight into heaven once we get saved? You know, why, why are we still here? And, you know, some people can kind of stumble through some of those answers, or God has got a bigger plan, you know, or, you know, we can glorify God more. Well, I mean, yeah, but, but God, is, is, God is the same level of, of glorious whether or not we acknowledge it, you know? God is the same level of, of awesomeness whether or not we, we tell people. Like, God, God is constant there. Um, and if we were to die today, God's work would still get accomplished. You know, if we, if we uh, stuck the staff in the ground and lived a life of rebellion and said, no, I will not do the things that you call me to do, God, God wouldn't be like, oh, no, how can, I, how can I help fix the situation so my plan will still be accomplished? It just it doesn't work that way. Rather, God has said that I'm going to do this for you by nothing that you have accomplished so that I can show you myself. There's a guy named Sam Storms, and I heard him preach a series on grace, and he said that God has created man to communicate joy to him. And if you've read any of John Piper's stuff, it talks about that we find the most joy uh, when we find the most contentment in, in Christ. And so when we are doing God's works or when we are living lives of obedience, when we are doing good works that we've been called to do, we find joy in that. And the, the more joy that we find, it results in, the more, uh, in, in more praise and, and glory given to God. I was talking to my mom on the phone a couple weeks ago, and Lauren is an excellent gift giver, my wife. And I'm horrible. Um, I, I, when we were dating, I like, forgot Christmas gifts for her. 
and she didn't. <laughs> um, and like, I'm just bad, you know? And so I was talking to my mom on the phone and she said, your cousin is, uh, your, your, your cousin and his wife are expecting a baby and they're all up in Michigan and we stay here with, with Lauren's family in, in the North Carolina area. And she said, over Thanksgiving, we're gonna throw um, a baby shower for your cousin-in-law. Um, great. Like, uh, you know, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't say that, you know. Um, but my mom, you know, volunteered. She says, oh, well, I'll be putting your name on the gift. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Um, and uh, that's nice of her, um, but it's, it's meaningless for me, you know. I, I take no credit, um, but I also feel no joy. But if you've ever been in one of those situations where you have really uh, worked or given something of yourself so that you could give to somebody else, you've been there before? Um, and the joy that comes from that, you know, because you did it and you put this together or you accomplished this because you, you love that person. Um, a couple years ago, when, when Laura and I were first married, our first Christmas, um, you know, we didn't have a ton of money. And so we were like, well, why don't we you know, take the, the bit of money that we have and see if we can make gifts for each other. Um, and Lauren is an awesome at crafts and all that kind of stuff. And, and I like woodworking. At, I'm, a, I'm a hobbyist at best. Um, <clears throat> but I made her a little box that, um, and I've got some stationery, you know, put a, an L in the, in the lid. And like, I was so excited to give it to her. You know, I mean, just, I mean, I felt like a kid as she's opening up the present. I'm like, mm, you know. <laughs> and then when she received it, I mean, it was awesome, you know? It, it was great. And there's a, this is, this is just a, a, a baby dropper of the principle here. And I think you get it. That, that God has said, I know how this all works. That there, that, that there is a plan that goes before you, man, and there's a plan that goes after you, and it's about me and my glory, but you, you are benefiting from this more than you would ever, ever imagine, even, even more than you can imagine once you get to heaven. Like, there's still infinite character traits of God in heaven, you know? And so, <clears throat> I am showing this to you very specifically, emphasizing that it's nothing that you have done to draw all the attention that it is all I have done, and I have called you in my perfect plan and in my grace for you to do good works. Because I know if you do them, when you do them, when you live a life of obedience, you will receive greater and greater levels of joy. And when you receive greater and greater levels of joy, you will see more and more clearly where all that has come from, and it's come from me as your God. And so I, am, I have created you, I have put you in my plan, so that I will be glorified. But man, you are benefiting. Look at verse um, 7. I'm going to point at two things. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who believe. Now look at the very end of verse 10. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them or do them, speaking of these good works. 
There's bookends here. So that in the coming ages, eternity future, he might show the immeasurable greatness of his, the immeasurable, show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. In verse 10, which he prepared beforehand. The theme of this is that God has been at work before the foundation of the earth in, verse, in chapter 1. And that he is working in ages to come. And that we are pieces of this mighty plan. This plan isn't about us, but we benefit because of his grace. Now, let me pause here for a second. Because my testimony, when I came to faith, I was younger. Um, I grew up in the church, and I was a good I mean, I was just a good kid. Like, never done drugs, um, never smoked anything, never struggled with language, never had to purge my music collection. Like, um, kept myself pure. And you read these first three verses and talk about dead in your trespasses, the way you once walked, following the satanic order and the prince of the power of the air sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And to be completely honest, it's hard for me to see that in my past. You know? I mean, I read it, and I know theologically that I was dead pre-Christ. But it is hard for me to look back and see death, disorder, and corruption. You know? It sounds so nice to be able to say, you once were all this way. Maybe some of you were. You, know, you were once this way, but by grace you have been saved. So, like, I've come to understand this, and I enjoy this, but it's hard for me to see this. And I think for if there's anybody in this room who struggles with the same thing, I think that the advantage that we have as, as being believers in the Word is that we can not only know that this is the way we once were, but this passage is really calling us in the course of our life to have it on our soul that it is the gospel alone, by grace, that is keeping us from that way of living. That the gospel has not only saved us from that way of living, but if you remove the gospel from our life, like if you decide, you know what, I'm not going to live the gospel way. If you remove that, then you begin to go back to the satanic order. Does that make sense? My biggest struggle, because I don't have this crazy testimony of living this horrible life, is that my struggle is that my mind tends to say that I, I can do good works. Danny, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know? I don't struggle with my quiet times. Um, you know, I've, I've lived a good life. And, 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 and thoughts, because I haven't done horrible sins, um, I start to think thoughts like I would never do those things. I have never done those things. I could never do those things. Those things are beneath me. 
Bad people do those things. I wouldn't fall into temptation like that. I don't fall into temptation. You see where I'm going? And when I start doing that, then what I'm doing is I'm removing this peace. And I'm saying, look at what God has forgiven me from, and look how much he loves me, and look how good I am. You know? So that I can be saved. And, and I don't tell myself that I'm saving myself, but my theology begins to shift a little bit when I say that I am keeping myself as a 35-year-old married guy. Uh, if, if, if I continue to think that I am the one that is keeping myself from unrighteousness, then my whole theology begins to change. Because if I believe that I'm keeping myself from this horrible past, then I'm saying that I am I'm the one who is in the process of saving myself. And if I am the one who is in the, in the process of saving myself or keeping myself in good with God, then I'm becoming my own workmanship, right? Then I'm the one who's building the shelf. And if I'm the one who's building the shelf, then I am doing Danny's works and not God's works. And Danny's works, by definition, are sins and trespasses and the satanic order. And so it's, it's easy for me to chalk up, yeah, 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 that's the way we once were. But what's difficult for me is to live constantly realizing that the gospel keeps me from deep levels of sin and disgusting perversion. Because I'm not talking about losing your salvation here. But there are Christians who fall hard in the sin. You know? There are Christians who blow it big time. There are Christians who train wreck. And I just wonder if they lost sight that it was only the gospel saved by grace, nothing that they do, and began to think, I'm doing something here to sustain my, myself. You know? And it, this, it's, it's a domino effect. It's a domino effect. If you lose the fact that you are sustained now in your salvation, that it's only by grace that, I, that God is, is, is working in my life to keep me from a life of unrighteousness or a life of sin, and it is only God's work in my life that is helping me to make an impact for the kingdom, it is only God's work in my life that is helping me um, get rid of sinful habits in my life, that it's only by God's grace that he's helping me to get into the word and helping me to love my wife like, I, like the Bible tells me to. And to be a father, it is only by God's grace that I'm able to do those things and be kept from those things. If I don't remember that, then I begin to lose what the gospel is in my life. And it can just be like... So I think that what Paul is saying in the next section, he says, remember, remember, remember. And he goes back to, you know, so we're, we're called to just not live in this whole, oh, look at the nice mercy and love, but recognize that it is only God. If there is anything that happens of an eternal consequence for God's glory, it is by his grace that he has done it through my life, not Danny. You know, if, 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 if I live my life and I don't blow it, it is only because God kept me from that, not because I, 
I, you know, I just buckle down, keep my head down, keep all the pornography out of my way, and try not to cuss, and love my wife well, you know, just like, it's, that's not it. Only, only, only by grace. And these verses, it just says it, for by grace, it's not by works, so that nobody can brag, so that nobody can boast. But we are God's workmanship, so that we will do God's works. We're saved by grace, he's the one that does it, he's the one that started it, he was the one that initiated this thing before we were born, so that we could do good works, so that we could get joy, so that we could be shown God's grace. Isn't that awesome? Um, I think that there's so much of the gospel that we know, but we have to keep going back to. That we know that we have to keep going back to. And if we can keep going back to grace, unmerited favor... It is only by God's grace that he's keeping us from sin, and it's only by God's grace that we are living for him. Then I think that there's rest to be found there that can't be found anywhere else. That there's joy that can be found there that can't be found anywhere else. There's peace that can be found here that can't be found anywhere else. I have a hard time seeing that I am prone to wickedness without the gospel. You know? That, I, that I'm destined for wickedness without the gospel. And so I need the gospel today, today, right now. Um, you know, in, in your pursuit with Christ, in, in, in living a life of obedience, if you're struggling with something that involves obedience. I, it might be your own time in the Word or living life of prayer or even your identity in Christ, whatever it may be. Um, I wonder, and I hope I'm not over, overstating this, but if, if, it's, if it's a consistent struggle with you Maybe you're viewing that struggle as something that you just need to buckle down and do better yourself. Works. Does that make sense? As opposed to stepping back and saying, God, I can't do this by myself. I need you. I mean, I think of something as simple as, as spending time in the Word. It, it's difficult. You know? Being consistent. We need it. Uh, I can't imagine growth spiritually without it. Um, everybody's busy. It's hard to get up in the morning. You're tired tonight, whatever it may be. But I know that there are some things that by nature we kind of put into a different category of just like, you know what, I just need to do better, you know? There's no excuse. I could get up earlier. Other people do it. I just need to do better, you know? There's no excuse for looking at whatever on the internet because, you know what, I just need to, I just need to have better self-control, and that's the answer, you know? You see what that sounds like? You see what it sounds like? It's like that I'm in control of this, and it's all up to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm the one who is controlling everything. And I just got to work harder. And, and sometimes we don't pray for those simple things. God, help me by your grace to just get in the word consistently because it's, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know, I want to, but it's just a struggle. You know, God, by your grace, because I can't do it by myself. I need you. Even in these, in, even in these, even in these footsteps in my walk with Christ.
the charge that, that Paul is giving the Ephesians here is say, listen, you need to see where you were and you need to see that it is only by God's grace that you're out of that. And it is only by God's grace that you are still out of that. And that you will continue to be as you live your life of obedience. Be encouraged by the word of God. Um, it's not by works, only by grace, unmerited favor. Father, I, I thank you for the fact that you give no room uh, for any credit to be taken away from you. <laughs> Father, even, even as we pursue life as believers, for those of us in this room that are believers, Father, may we not slip in our understanding and in, in thinking that, that we have it within ourselves to do anything of eternal value. But it is only by grace and it is only your work and you working in and through our hearts and our minds and our soul that we can do any good works that are of eternal value. And Father, I, I, I pray for this group. Father, as we all are walking through life and we have our ups and downs and we have our struggles with different levels of of discipline and, and things that, that we are seeking to do or trying to do, Father, that we would not deceive ourselves into thinking that it's simply just a matter of buckling down and just trying harder. Father, you've called us to obey. You've called us to rely and trust and hope and depend and lean completely on you as we obey. May we do that, please, Father. I thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.